if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll. It is now nine minutes after 10 o'clock. So hour number two is underway on this Tuesday, the 28th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Appreciate you being with us. Good conversation. A lot of information in the first hour of the program. There's going to be even more in this hour. Why? Because we're joined by one of the most intelligent human beings uh, that I know. And that might not be saying enough, to be quite honest, because uh, there's a lot of smart people I don't know, and I'll put this guy up against them, too. Peter Kirstenau is with us. Peter, of course, is a Cleveland attorney. He is also a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, a best-selling author, a columnist, and contributor to National Review, and many, many other things. Also, of course, host of the Kirstenau Report. And he is with us for the full hour this morning uh, until 11 o'clock. And uh, as promised, he will answer your questions, not just mine. So I would get in line right now if you've got a question for Kersenow in this hour. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. My first question to you, Peter Kersenow, is how many days until the Browns home opener? 131. And, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm really excited because I am, I don't know, we haven't talked about this, and, and you and I, um, you know, very often go over the draft. I think, uh, I like the draft. Um, you know, you can always improve upon it, but I think they did a credible job on the draft. I know that some of the rankings were pretty high for the Browns. I'm not sure if I would put them as high as some of them I've read, but, um, you know, I like getting the offensive linemen, uh, you know, some of the other picks. Uh, the tight end was, I think, a, I don't know that we need a tight end. In, but it was a good pick. But um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I uh, I don't recall very many right tackle to left tackle transitions. That yeah, worked. yeah, right. So that the other way, fine. Yeah, but but that's a big transition, no doubt. Yeah, no question. And that that makes me pause just a little bit. But uh, that'll be to dis- be decided probably in 2021 because I'm guessing there's not going to be any football this fall. Pete, I, I know it sounds extraordinarily pessimistic, but let's start there since we just did our little football thing. Um, Dr. Burks was on with um, Fox and Friends this morning, and uh, she was asked, what about the fall? Um, are, are schools going to be open in the fall, right? This is all going to be done by then, right? And Dr. Burks, 
and and I'm I'm equating schools with football, okay? Just to say, you know, I mean, high school football, college football, all of it, and and then yes, transitioning to the NFL, they're not going to let people get together by the you know seventy five thousand figure in in NFL stadiums, and they're not going to let uh, guys be together in locker rooms this fall when uh, she won't even commit to this. Her answer was, well, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this summer in the Southern Hemisphere because that's their fall, and so we have to watch New Zealand and we have to. Watch Australia, and we're going to look at South Africa, and we're going to look at Chile, and look at other countries, uh, and see what happens on the uh, in the uh, southern hemisphere because that's their fall. And then we'll we'll gather information and 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 then look at our fall. In other words, she refused to answer the question. She refused to say, "Of course, we plan on having things back to you know kids back in school and having gatherings happen uh, by this fall." Pete, they are in this for the duration of the COVID-19 virus until a vaccine. I am convinced now that these liars and and hucksters who are running the government and the doctors who are feeding them misinformation are in this for full on control of the people for the next year and a half. I I've just I've I've gone over the edge now. I'm no longer walking the tightrope. I do not trust a thing they say. Well, you, you and I are in the same spot on that, and we've talked about it for several weeks. I haven't trusted them, frankly, from the beginning, but I will listen to them and make my own decisions to the extent I'm lawfully permitted to do so. Uh, I think that there's another entity to which everyone has to answer, and that's the American people who reserve most of the power to themselves. And I think that there's going to be sufficient uh, pressure on politicians to loosen things up a lot more than they have already. I think, uh, you know, I agree with you with respect to, we, we accord undue deference, and we've evolved to a point in this country where we uh, accord unmerited deference to both experts and idiots, and sometimes the two conflate. These experts have been wrong, and no disrespect to them. Uh, they know what they're doing within their narrow scope, but that doesn't mean they're infallible. And also, as I said last week, I believe this is new, novel, it's a novel coronavirus, and we're kind of feeling our way through, but we've been feeling our way through for a couple of months now. And the accumulation of data is heavily, despite the fact the media keeps discounting these facts, the accumulation of data is heavily on the side of you guys got it just fundamentally wrong, and as you and I exchanged texts yesterday, Bob, I maintain that this is, and I may be wrong after all said and done, but at this point, I think the evidence shows that this is the greatest peacetime public policy blunder in human history. Trillions of dollars destroyed, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Millions at least 30 million jobs have been destroyed. Many are not coming back. I hate to say that because I know that you know, sows despair throughout the listenership. Hundreds of thousands of businesses have been shuttered. Hospital beds are empty. The purported reason for why we try to flatten the curve and hospitals are in, sh- in difficult shape, especially in rural areas, all on the basis of a lot of other maladies associated with the, with these shutdown orders, but all on the basis of flawed preliminary data, 2.2 million. I, I still maintain, Bob, that much of this was driven by the first about week and a half that this thing had resonance in American media, when what we saw 
was this astonishing spectacle of the Chinese in hazmat suits welding apartment doors shut so people couldn't get out. I was like, where there was zombies in there? And then the data from um, the Imperial College of 2.2 million IMHE, you know, parroting something similar to that. All these people were going to be dying, all of which was fantastical. And I think on its face, many of us just said it was absurd, even though we were uh, without any true medical data, we've been around for a while. We, th- this kind of stuff just d- didn't make sense. But then we started getting data that supported our preliminary presumptions, yet the people in charge are not agile enough to make amends for or to accommodate that data and act accordingly. With it's not about agility, though, Pete, if I may. I, I don't think it's about agility. I, I, they, they flat out refuse to admit they were wrong. If they, if they say, look... Um, we never reached the peak of the 98,000 per day that our models said. Our, the, you know, they went by models. They went by statisticians. They did not go by actual science. But with the actual science, which is looking at the actual number of cases, the real cases, not projected, they would have to say, yeah, we were off by, I don't know, 97,700. Cause we haven't, and we're not even having 300 cases a day for crying out loud. So, so for them to, to, to go back and, and return things to normalcy now would be to admit yeah we were way off and they refuse to do that it's not about the agility to do it pete it's a refusal to acknowledge their own incompetence and mike no spine is is in my opinion his political career is over because of it forget about primarying him i am hoping there is a movement to impeach him and i will reach out to every state representative i can well, I think both the failure to be agile and the failure to admit, uh, those, those can coexist at the same time. I would say that when you look at, the, and your, your position with respect to failure to admit is compounded every day. I agree with you on that. When you look at the data that's accumulating, what we see is in order for them to kind of elide the fact that they were wrong and they're not going to admit it, and they've taken draconian actions as a result, is that they are now... If, if you fall off a cliff and you had coronavirus, you died of coronavirus. What they're trying to do is inflate the numbers so it doesn't look as if they were that wildly off. This is a public policy catastrophe, and we need to start rectifying it intelligently. Look, I think that this is a serious issue. We need to treat it seriously. But I think the remedies that have been offered by our public officials are clearly way off the mark, and they better start making amends right away. The, the num- the, it's extraordinary, the scale of the devastation. You know, Bob, because you've talked to these people, you talk to medical professionals, and they're close to it, and they, they take this extremely seriously, but they can see the vacant hospital beds. They can see the vacant hospitals, especially in rural hospitals. Many of these are in financial distress at this particular point. We may be harming our medical system when the ostensible purpose for all these draconian lockdown measures was to flatten the curve to preserve our hospitals or preserve the bed for the projected right. influx of patients. And now we've got hospitals that are in financial distress. This is extraordinary what's happening, and yet no one – strike that – very few public policy or politicians are pausing to say, wait a minute, we need to revisit this. They're going to rue the day when they don't start to make adjustments prudently because three, four, five months down the line, when the economic devastation persists, people are going to hold them to account. 
Just because the mainstream media is cheerleading for them doesn't mean that's going to be the case forever, because the American people, by their very actions, are showing that they're frustrated with what's happening. A lot of people have concluded, yeah, they, they listen to experts. We are, we are dummies. We listen to them. We factor what they have to say into the corpus of what we already know and what our experience shows, and then we act accordingly. And based on what seems to be an erupting protest out there from all quarters of society, I think most people aren't buying what the media and many politicians are selling. Pete, let me, uh, before we take our first break here, uh, let me just get to the mask issue yesterday, the order by Mike DeWine. And the order is very, very direct. It is, uh, it is not, um, uh, it is, uh, not ambiguous at all. Quote, no mask, no work, no service, no exception. Require face coverings for employees and clients, customers at all times. Now, this order was given just a few short weeks after the Surgeon General of the United States, pretty intelligent man of medicine, Dr. Jerome Adams, who said in an interview, and I quote, you can increase your risk of getting it by wearing a mask. If you are not a healthcare provider, folks who don't know how to wear them properly tend to touch their faces a lot and actually can increase the spread of coronavirus. I'll add that to this. Um, Forbes.com, uh, back on February 29th, uh, huge article on how to protect yourself from coronavirus and on the issue of masks. Quote, if you already have masks, this isn't about hoarding and stockpiling. If you already have them, should you wear them when you're out? No. Even if there are COVID cases in your community, even if there are cases next door, the answer is no. You do not need to get or wear any face masks, surgical masks, N95, respirator masks, or anything else to protect yourself against the coronavirus. Not only do you not need them, you shouldn't wear them, according to infection prevention specialist Eli Perencevich. Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at the University of Iowa's College of Medicine, quote, the average healthy person does not need to have a mask and they shouldn't be wearing them. There is no evidence that wearing masks on healthy people will protect them. They wear them incorrectly and they can increase the risk of infection, risk of infection because they're touching their face more often. Peter, uh, we're told over and over again, listen yeah, to I the know. doctors. Why right. is Mike No Spine requiring Ohioans to wear one of these things in order to engage in commerce and either to buy or sell or go into public locations when the doctors have been telling us for weeks, not only are they not helpful, they can be harmful, Peter. Yeah, I think, look, the conventional wisdom has been shifting on this dramatically. Uh, I thought that the conventional wisdom at the outset was, was just it didn't make sense whatsoever. I thought that when they said it's going to be more of a problem than it than a help, I thought that, that intuitively doesn't make sense. And I exercised my own discretion. I, I When I came into elevators and stuff, I had, you know, I, I have a number of the uh, face masks that I use for work around the house. So I wore one of those, you know, just to be on the safe side. I think there's a couple problems here. Number one is... I will, as I said before, I will... Pete, do you want to hit this on the other side since sir, you're not talking I'll over the music? Sure. Yeah, the other two, it's, the music's playing, so let's do that. We'll take this time out and then hit those two points in response to the mask issue. Uh, and then, like I said, I promise you, I'm going to stop asking Pete questions, and I'm going to let you do it. If you've got questions for Kirsten, I'll dial 216-901-0945. We'll bring you up, coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten 
1026 now. Peter Kirsten now back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, you were about to go into two points you wanted to make on my mask question. Mike DeWine making them mandatory starting on May 14th for some strange reason. I guess for the next two weeks we can breathe as many deadly germs as we wish. Then we have to start watching ourselves on May 14th. But you had two points to that. Go ahead. I hate to be <laughs> laughing because a lot of people are suffering drastically from stuff like this. And the the kind of chimerical, uh, the, the, the these edicts that are being issued that seem to contradict themselves every few weeks, are it, it's driving people nuts. One thing I'll do, as I said at the outset, I'm willing to accord some deference to policymakers who were, at least at the outset, blindly trying to find their way through because this was something that was new, it was novel. But we've got data now where you can start making more rational decisions. And unfortunately, a lot of politicians are still making decisions that are irrational and based on the wrong information that we had in the past. I think we're at a point now, however, though, this I'll say this, that they have been so wrong and have so sown the seeds of hysteria that Frankly, everybody, even people like me, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about going into an establishment because I just don't know. The psychological effect of it and what they've done is, I think, gin up, I think, a sense of fear and hysteria so that now masks are almost a psychological imperative. Think about this, for example. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and that's I try, part of the I, control. Exactly. I mean, I try to patronize as many businesses as I possibly can because I need things, but also because I want the economy and and people that I know to flourish. I have, though, some trepidation about going into confined spaces, as we all should, I mean, logically, but I think that trepidation is raised to an unmerited level because of the hysteria. If I see somebody with a mask on, it could lower the trepidation. I want our business people to flourish. And if that is one little psychological thing that helps, I don't have a problem with it. What I have a problem with is this kind of arbitrary nature of what the government is doing. Now, armed with data, they are still perpetuating this, these kinds of ridiculous programs and, and uh, hysteria. I think it's important for the government officials out there, and you've cited a few of them, and, and again, I think... Burks and others are trying to do a good job, but some of them are just way off the reservation. They are doing just incredibly stupid things. And I will accord deference to medical professionals to a point when they stay within their lanes of their expertise. But I've got a brain also, and I can assimilate data and I can make certain conclusions. And uh, again, without saying that I'm, 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 I'm trying to outthink them or anything, but some of this stuff, a lot, most of us have come to the conclusion makes no sense. And they've, they've done a 180. You've just pointed out on so many things that you have, I think, um, some reluctance to blindly follow what they've got to say. So I think, um, again, I think the psychological imperative is there, but I think it's more important at this point now for politicians to start to follow the lead of people like Christy Noem uh, and a few others. There are very South few Dakota. of them, frankly, even, even among the, the Republican ranks, who are taking a look at this in a critical fashion. They are not you know, doing it in an ideological way, saying that, oh, I'm going to just open everything up. But they're doing it in a precise surgical fashion that's best for the community, best for their states. Those are the politicians that I respect. They are acting as true Americans. And one other thing, Bob, um, we are in a, in a situation such as this, the founding fathers and the Constitution and our entire framework has reposited in our uh, executive branch 
considerable powers at the state level. You've got certain police powers. They're not unlimited, but they've got certain police powers that can do a lot of things. That's the executive branch. We have two other branches of government. And the legislative branch in many states has been missing in action for a long time. They're the representatives of the people. They hear things that maybe a DeWine wouldn't know, but more importantly is they have got the ability to make law. They can deliberate. They can look at what DeWine's doing. And if DeWine does something, remember, DeWine's actions, he's got enormous latitude in terms of police power, but it has to be consistent with the powers granted to him. And if the legislature hasn't divined or given him uh, uh, those powers either through the Constitution or in specific legislation, he's not permitted to do that. Now, he may exercise that authority because nobody challenges him on that, and he can exercise that authority on a temporary basis uh, without violating due process norms as long as he provides notice and, and an opportunity for a hearing at some reasonable point thereafter. But where's the legislature on this stuff? Where are these folks? They need to be stepping up and making certain pronouncements and maybe providing guidance in terms of the legislature as to how we're going to begin opening up. Because I'll tell you what, their constituents are hurting badly. We are rightfully concerned with the health and safety of people. We've had hundreds of people in the state of Ohio who've died. Uh, but, and I don't mean to be diminishing this, but you know, it's hard to say this kind of stuff. But people die well, every day. Yet exactly. We don't shut down hundreds of businesses because of this, thousands of businesses. And the legislature is closest to the ground. Yeah, 40,000 people die on the roads every year. Two million are injured every single year. And we run the risk of people dying on those roads because we have to get from here to there. We run the risk of people dying. We could absolutely save thirty to 40,000 lives if we banned automobiles. But we don't because we need to live and we need to, do, to conduct commerce and transportation and so on. Absolutely, we run risks every single day. And it's sad when anybody dies, but we don't stop moving because of it. And by the way, Pete, on the legislature side... Um, around 30 of them signed the Ohio, Open Ohio Responsibly Framework we talked about on yesterday's show. It was uh, spearheaded by Nino Vitale, uh, uh, Ohio State Representative, signed by about 30 of them, essentially saying, open everything now. With responsibility, yes. With distancing, yes. With masks, if necessary, yes. But we need to open the state. So the legislature is starting slowly to get involved here, and that's something we can continue to talk about. Kirsten, I'll take your calls next on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-seven. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer with our friend Peter Kersenow, who's with us for the entire hour today. And Pete, really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and like I said to our callers, we do want to uh, uh, give them an opportunity to ask questions of you as well, especially because so many of us are wondering about lawsuits and wondering about whether or not it's um, there is a basis for a lawsuit against the governor uh, if a class action lawsuit can be filed on behalf of all business owners who are unconstitutionally closing them, picking winners and losers, deciding what is essential and what is not essential, deciding which families go hungry and which ones do not. Uh, and uh, so there's a lot of questions people have. If you're okay with it, we'll go to the phone. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Donna is calling from Strongsville first on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Donna. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, it's not so much a question. I just wanted to uh, make the public aware because I think many people are unaware that there is no in-person voting on June the 2nd as uh, Governor Wine had indicated, and that the primary officially closes today. Yeah, yeah, um, you're right. It does. Hi, Bob. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, okay, I got, I got cut you. off momentarily there. Okay. Yeah, I know. I heard that. I heard that. Uh, but we got you both on uh, on the uh, on the line now. Donna was and Donna, thank you for for the uh, for the call. She was talking about voting. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, she's talking about the primary. The last day to vote uh, today is today in this w- what turned into a vote by mail only type of situation or a drop off situation. Uh, and Pete, I got to tell you, um, I I I have very 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 little faith in any result of this primary election in the state of Ohio because it was done by mail only and because yeah. uh, Governor DeWine, in my estimation, again, Governor No Spine is going to be my new name for him, uh, unconstitutionally, uh, uh, you know, delayed or, or restricted or whatever you want to call what he did to the election on March 17th. I simply am blown away by the fact that he appealed to the Supreme Court and they said, no, you can't do that. And he did it anyway. The Ohio yeah. Supreme Court, that is. So uh, I don't know about you, but I feel very, very troubled by the uh, whatever the results of this election are. Well, there's a lot of things related to the electoral process that are up for grabs right now that are very troubling and concerning, including the upcoming presidential election. You're right to be concerned about mail elections, mail ballots, and there's a reason why Democrats keep pushing for it. Uh, it, Look, with all due respect to my Democratic friends, the fact of the matter is, you know, the Civil Rights Commission, among the things we look at, are voting rights, and and we've got copious data. We've had a number of hearings on this. I'd like to say I am at least a semi-expert on this, uh, because over the last 20 years I've been studying it so intensely. Uh, The problem we have and the evidence is out there, is that mail ballots obviously are the subject of rampant fraud, and the fraud only goes one way. You, you have to look, search far and wide to find instances where Republicans are benefited as a result of this, improperly benefited as a result of mail ballot elections. Uh, Rahm Emanuel said never let a crisis go to waste, and of course Nancy Pelosi's and, and other Democrats are using these crises to come up with reasons, and I don't think merited reasons, for conducting elections differently than we have in the past. Now, I understand that there are certain protocols that need to be changed, possibly, you know, to make sure people are safe. That's fine. But the mail ballot is a real troublesome feature. First of all, there's not just the opportunity for fraud, but for mistakes, for all kinds of failures to occur. And when you look at the mistakes, as I said a few moments ago, it's remarkable how the mistakes seem to almost universally go in one direction. That is a direction that favors Democrats. I'm not blaming all Democrats for this or anything like that. That's not my point. But my point is, we're not going to get a free and fair election if we resort to mail ballots. We get fraud all over the place. There have been a number of elections that have been overturned as a result of this. You know, when you hear from the media, uh, let me back up for a second. I know I'm going to lose my place. Um, Bob and, and your listeners out there, you have seen... I want to give you an illustration for why you shouldn't trust the fact that the media doesn't report much about mail ballot fraud. You have seen the disparate treatment of uh, Tara Reid and Joe Biden with respect to these sexual allegations. The media have not covered it whatsoever compared to Kavanaugh. Now, look, I think both of them deserve due process and the presumption of innocence and all those things, and that's what Republicans have been saying throughout. But that's absolutely not what Democrats have been saying. That's absolutely not what the media has been doing. CNN ran nearly 700 stories about Kavanaugh and Blasey Ford with less supporting evidence, 700 stories. In, in a very short period of time, and yet they've only run, to my knowledge, one story about um, Biden and Tara Reid. Only yeah. one, despite the fact that they've got a tape of CNN being called, of Larry uh, 
of a king being called by her mother. mother. Okay, so I say that as a predicate to say just because you don't hear about it in the media doesn't mean it's not occurring. And the well, fact Pete, that- let me let me let me jump in because I want to I don't want to spend too much time on one subject. We have a lot of other people who want to talk to you, but let me let me throw this to you. Unless that media is conservative, because that's the only place you're going to find it, which is why I share this with you. I've been staring at this article on my screen for the last three days and I haven't talked about it yet. And I'm, this is the only chance I'm going to get to do it. Twenty eight million mail in ballots went missing in the last four elections between 2012 and 2018 an average of seven million ballots per election went missing mail-in ballots enough to tip every and any election that was held including two presidential elections in that time now do we know what they all voted for no but the point is it is absolutely 100 percent unreliable and pete i would just cap it with this if Joe Biden and Donald Trump engage in an only mail-in election and Trump wins, the left will go nuts and claim that it's not reliable because it was done by mail, even though they are the ones who wanted it done by mail. And if Joe Biden wins, well, then I will absolutely sit here and tell you that I believe that, that um, uh, Republican ballots, ballots were the ones that were lost in the mail. And there are votes that Unque- are not we un- uh, I agree with you entirely. I agree with you entirely. Unquestionably, we're going to have massive fraud. And it doesn't take massive fraud, as you just indicated. It was only 539 votes in 2000 in Florida that made the decision, the, the difference right. in a presidential election where hundreds of millions of ballots or over 100 million ballots were cast. And also, John Houston, back when he was Secretary of State, testified before Congress. Uh, and I may be off by just a little bit but not by much. I think he was referencing the 2014 state elections and noted that 82 elections were decided by just one vote. That's just in Ohio, okay? So you don't have to have millions or even thousands of fraudulent votes. It just takes a few to to flip an election because so many are so close. Do not trust mail ballot elections and do not trust the motivation. I'm sorry to say that. I hate to be cynical like this, but especially in the last few years, we've had so much evidence of just outright rampant fraud and deceit and bias, and the media is complicit in it. Uh, Just think of the major stories of the last three years, the major stories that the media not just got wrong, I mean completely wrong, but they were cheerleading for one side that any reasonable person in the midst of the particular affair knew to be wrong in the it, while you are watching it in real time i guarantee you your listeners were watching this and knowing that for example the russia collusion okay. affair in the middle of it before there was an adjudication by by mueller knew that this was absurd and then we had the impeachment issue we knew that was absurd now we've got the biden issue and i'm just using a certain large issues randomly we know this is absurd so do not trust or put this way trust your instincts on this very, very accurate. Uh, Peter, let's go to Steve in North Ridgeville next. Steve, you're on with Peter Kirsten now. What's your question, Steve? Hi, Bob. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first thing is I'm a microbiologist. This, this is a total sham. Uh, Burks and the medical staff, uh, I don't know where Trump is. I'm a Trump supporter. This guy was telling us he wanted to open the country on Easter, which I thought was possible. Where has this guy been? And why does he let these medical professionals continue 
to provide a narrative. I, 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 there's got to be more people in a room. Especially when the medical professionals are all over the place in what they have said and what they are saying, especially since the medical professionals were so wrong on every single model and everything. every single prediction they made. Yeah. Uh, real, real quick, though, Steve, what's your, what's your question specifically for Peter? Was that well, it? Well, my, my, my question is with, with, with the communist behavior that we're seeing in our state, is there anything that Trump can do with these rogue states to, to bring them back under constitutional authority. Yeah, Steve, that, good that's question. A, that's thanks a, Steve, thanks for the call. Steve, yeah, thank yeah, you for the call, you. Steve. Yeah. Uh, Peter, go I'll right make ahead. this as, as quick as possible. As I indicated at the outset, the police powers of the state, the, 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 we have a federalist system. The founding fathers were geniuses when it came to this. So most of the power related to a matter like this is in the power of this, is, uh, resides in the states and in the people. Uh, you know, we do have, you know, a Tenth Amendment. Can the president do something about it? There's very little from a crack-the-whip perspective, but he does have incentives available to him by the power of the purse, by his persuasive bully pulpit, all those kinds of things. And I, and I have to admit, you know, Bob, you and I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Trump supporter. I have a lot of confidence in him. But I also agree with Steve. I think I've heard from a lot of people um, that, and, and I have the, the, the same reservations, Trump has been stronger than most politicians have on this, but, you know, we're, we are a little bit disappointed. The, you know, I think his instincts at the outset were right, and his instincts normally are very, very good. Agreed. I have a sense he's chafing at, chapping at the bit here, and that he is, you know, trying to listen to the medical professionals. He's trying to do his due diligence when it comes to that, and he understands what his limitations are, and so he needs the counsel of them. But I, I would hope that he starts making more um, definite pronouncements. He can, you know, kind of co- uh, encourage states to do more on the individual level. He can do a lot of things with respect to incentives. He shouldn't mm-hmm. overstep, you know, by saying that all is well. And I think he got burned by that a little bit, maybe retreated a little bit. He, generally, we don't see Trump retreat. Uh, I think he is um, surprisingly reserved. You know, I know that the media says, what? Are you I kidding? I think he's, he's handcuffed, Pete. I don't think he's reserved by choice. I think he's handcuffed. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and I hate to say this because I'm being so hard on Mike DeWine, but, but you know, in reality, you know, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't to a certain extent. Um, uh, DeWine is a little bit different because he has direct control over the states. President Trump cannot control the states, as we know, and as he, you know, mistakenly said uh, a, a couple of weeks ago that it's up to him, and it's not. It's up to the governors. Can he do anything? The question that was asked of you, Maybe he can if he decides he wants to go all in and say it's time to reopen the economy. Maybe he can threaten and promise uh, that grants are going to be you know minimized to various states of federal dollars if they don't fall in line here and get themselves open up for business. I don't know that. But bottom line is the president can only make suggestions. It's up to the governors. I, I agree with that, Bob. And um I, I do think that he is hamstrung to to a certain extent because if he says that he's got the authority, of course, everybody's going to come down and say he's a dictator. They're already complaining now that he's not doing that. You know, <laughs> they want You're the right. ammunition and he's not supplying him with it. Hundred percent right. Peter Kirsten now is with us for one more segment. We got time for probably two more phone calls uh, of questions. Just make sure when you call in. Uh, or if you're on hold already, make sure your question is quick so we give Pete enough time to answer it on AM 1420, The Answer. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. Okay, 
Okay, 10.53 now. I've got seven minutes left. Probably time for two or three more quick questions for Peter Kersenow. Again, I ask you to be quick and brief with your questions so we can give Pete an opportunity to answer. Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn's got a question for you, Pete. Sister, go right ahead. Yes. I will say our God reigns, and I want to ask Peter a question. What do you know about Ohio Revised Code 3701-13? And all I know is that there's a big difference when our president is playing chess and everybody's playing checkers. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sister. Thanks very much, sister. I have a feeling I'm back in third grade. She got me. <laughs> um, I, I, without looking at the Ohio Revised Code, which has multiple volumes, I can't tell you which one that is. So I'd have to reserve. I'd have to take a look at it before I could answer credibly. And I know if I didn't do that. The, sister, the good sister would uh, remonstrate me severely. No, maybe not severely. Um, I'll take a look at it, and I'll answer that question next time around, if that's okay, sister. I know you're off the line already. I, um, I, I tend to think that, and let me just speculate, if you take a look at the Harvized Code, it's voluminous. There's a lot of authority in there from the legislature as to how the, the governor is supposed to discharge certain of his powers, okay? And if you take a look at certain Supreme Court cases, it does cabin the ability of the executive to exercise even their police powers, provided it stays within, I hate to use this term, uh, but the penumbra of the legislation out there. There's a couple of cases, the most famous one being Youngstown's Cheat and Tube versus Sawyer, uh, Cheat and Tube versus Sawyer, that a president can act and an executive can act with the authority, with the extent he goes beyond the authority granted by the legislature, the more unconstitutional it's likely to be considered. So I don't know. I'll take a look at that, and I'll get back to the sister next time I'm on. Uh, let's move to Sally in Berea with a question for Peter Now, Hi, Sally. Go ahead. Hi. I would like a comment about the statistics that the media has been um, uh, talking about regarding uh, the distribution of cases according to the minorities and the races and probably um, how they're skewing that interpretation. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, I'm taking a look at that data, you know, as part of being on the Civil Rights Commission, we do take a look at it. And Congress specifically wrote a letter to us asking us to take a look at that information. Based on my preliminary assessment, it does appear as if, you know, the old joke about, you know, the uh, asteroid to hit the earth, world to end, minorities and, and women hardest hit. Uh, it is true that minorities are, or at least blacks, I'm not sure about Hispanics, although the data she- seem to suggest that uh, Hispanics are hit a little bit harder in the northern uh, states than, than whites are, but blacks are hit demonstrably harder, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and if you articulate the reasons, you get attacked. Since I get attacked all the time, um, you know, I'm always the skunk at the garden party at the commission anyway, there are reasons for it, and we've got the, the reasons out there. If you take a look at Minnesota, which is a good example, if you take a look at um, you know, John Hinderocker and Scott Johnson do this data on a regular basis, and they show that in Minnesota, for example, there was only one person in the last, I don't know how many, who have died who didn't have at least an immediately identifiable comorbidity, or that is right. an underlying condition. The median death rate, uh, de- death age for people in Minnesota is, I think it's 86 or 87 now, and they all have underlying conditions, and the vast majority are confined to nursing homes. So what we're talking about here is um, something that uh, we, we, the, the data that we're seeing is, 
data that is based on underlying conditions and certain demographic groups being hit hardest. Blacks have higher underlying conditions than whites do. Hypertension, diabetes, and that's unquestionable. That's one of the reasons why black death rate is high. Also, poverty is a reason. It's an underlying condition. Very often, blacks, greater degree of poverty, don't have access to or don't go to see medical professionals professionals as frequently as whites do. So that's going to be an exacerbating reason. I have not seen any reason whatsoever. And this is what the, the Democrats in the media try to allude to or suggest. No evidence whatsoever that blacks are treating, being treated differently than whites in medical treatment, in health care access, or anything of that nature. Not an iota of that. So don't let the media make you think that somehow big bad orange man or anybody else is treating blacks or other minorities less favorably than whites. That is not true. Thank you that for was that my very perception clear point. Also. Uh, S- Sally, I've got to go. I'm sorry. Uh, Sally, thank you for the phone call. We've got to get on. Uh, John is next. Uh, John, you're on AM 1420. The answer with Peter Christen. Yes. Now we've got just about 45 seconds. Go ahead. This is the best, one of the best moments in 1967. I've been calling talk shows, and thank you for both. The golden, there's a gold rush going on, but it's a golden opportunity. If Ohio, some of the states are going broke, they're asking the Fed to give some money. If Ohio or Midwestern states can sue eastern states for polluting, how can Ohio cannot sue somebody who brings here disease? I'm just curious. My mind at 85, I'm lucky to ask you this question. I don't yeah, know. We can, all- John, thanks for the call, Pete. I don't think we can sue China. They're the ones who brought us the disease. Well, we can sue China because, and, and there's going to be a question because ne- normally sovereign states have got a certain level of immunity. You know that Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, has introduced legislation. So has I think right. the United Cotton States could sue China, it. but I mean individual American citizens couldn't. I mean, cannot do such a thing, right? Only if it, well, it depends. I mean, there are certain exceptions to it. For example, it depends on the extent to which differences have been granted or exemptions have been granted. Sometimes that happens. Um, and we saw it with Iran, for example. So it's possible that this could happen at some point. I won't want to discount it completely. Right. And also, states can sue, have sued. I think Missouri has been the first one to come out to sue. So uh, can certain states sue China? I believe I want to sue. Can. I want to sue Mike DeWine, and I want to get him impeached. <laughs> he should not be leaving our state any longer. <laughs> Peter, thank you for putting in the full hour, my friend. God bless Thanks you. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Pete. Bye-bye. That's all the time we've got. Mike Gallagher's next. Stay right here.